Hi, everyone. It's Jen Duall. And on this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, we are talking all about how to create a productive team that actually gets results. How do you make people want to do something? How do you build motivation? How do you actually accomplish those strategic visions? We're planning 2024 right now. I want you to listen to this and think about what can you do this year to make sure that you can actually deliver on those results. But let me tell you a little bit more about today's guest, Zach Montoy. Zach is passionate about helping companies grow and evolve into high-functioning, high-impact organizations. He has 20 years of executive experience, as well as five years of implementing his expertise to help entrepreneurs. Zach's passion and knowledge in organizational strategy make him an ideal leader for businesses seeking to scale. He offers tried and true solutions to solve even the stickiest issues. No shortcuts here, just honest advice that works. His aim is to help you bring your business up to the next level. Zach lives in Franklin, Tennessee with his wife, Jackie, who's a clinical therapist and helps lead intentional schools and their three sons, Nazir, Amir, and Sammy. I hope you enjoy this conversation today as we talk about how to create a productive team that actually gets results. Welcome to the podcast, Zach Madroy. I'm so happy to have you here. And we're talking about a really important topic that I'm sure many leaders are struggling with, no matter what your level is. And plus, employees, people that aren't leaders are likely struggling with their own productivity. But today's topic, how to create a productive team that actually gets results. Mm. Wouldn't that be a perfect world if we could get yes, that? Yes, it is. Yes, so it is. Before we dive in, Zach, could you tell our audience a little bit more about you? Sure. I, uh, I'm Zach. I live with my wife and three boys in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, we actually moved down here about six years ago, and I left a world of you know being a COO and before that uh, worked as you know leading HR teams and departments, and really uh, spent my career figuring out how to put strategy to the vision, how to empower and lead teams and lead. Uh, leaders, developed leaders, and got to step into the consulting world about six and a half years ago and got to do that work with a bunch of different teams uh, in a bunch of different companies, which was really exciting to me to be able to do that. And so, you know, my journey really has been uh, making sure that we can execute uh, the vision, making sure that we have healthy teams and healthy leaders. And uh, I started the Intention Collective um, uh, about a year ago. And uh, yeah, so we're coming up on our year celebration. And uh, really what we do is help do that with companies and teams. We help them focus their vision, focus their strategy, and actually accomplish it in a very healthy way. Uh, So I have the privilege of leading uh, some team members uh, actually across the country who get to do that with companies every day. I love the word that you said, healthy doing it in a healthy way. Hmm. Tell me more what you mean about that, because I think that's a beautiful emphasis. And hey, it's productive. It's proactive. Tell me more what you mean about that. Yeah, I, you know, for years, I have heard you cannot grow and scale a company if you are going to also have a healthy team and healthy culture. Uh, One comes at the cost of another, like there are levers that you have to push and pull. And frankly, I didn't find that to be true in the work when I was, you know, embedded in a team. And I don't think that that's the choice you have to make. I think it's an and. I think healthy teams, healthy cultures come 
with great intentionality and really healthy leadership. But what I found is when, you know, John Maxwell said, speed of the leader, speed of the team. When you have an unhealthy leader leading a team, oftentimes, yeah, you do have unhealthy culture. So I think when you pair that, when you can, when you can be intentional about the habits that we put behind values that we're investing in people, I think absolutely you can have health and you know healthy teams, healthy cultures, and you can be growing and scaling as an organization all at the same time. I think it's an and. I love that. It is an and. Mm-hmm. Now, but let's be like, you know, I love this. In theory, this is what we want to get to of where we mm-hmm. can develop people and create strong cultures where people can thrive. But yet it feels like it's getting harder. Every single, you know, statistic that I'm reading in the news about workplace performance and productivity seems a little bit more bleak than what it was a year ago. And so let's talk about maybe the problems or the challenges that people are running into today. Mm-hmm that get in their way of being as productive as they can be. What are you seeing from your side of the world? Yeah, I see, you know, when I the when we talk about uh productivity, when we talk about, you know, teams executing on in you know the vision on the strategy, the first thing I always come to is is their clarity. Is there abundant clarity on the team? Do people understand their role, they understand the mission behind their role. You know, at the end of the day, they really understand what the win is for them in the job. They understand uh, with great clarity what they're responsible for. And we've given them the authority, um, the accountability, the autonomy to do that job well. And we've clarified what results are, what results should be. And we're having conversations about that. We are, you know, communicating to one another. Uh, I'll keep overusing the word. We're intentional about those conversations and we're intentional about those relationships. I think oftentimes I see people being being unproductive because they have no idea really what they should be doing, what they should be contributing, or there's a lack of alignment there with their unique genius, their unique ability and so they're just plain not motivated really to do their job and believe that people don't really care. You're just there to punch a clock and, right. you know, do what's on your job description and leave. Um, and when we're not motivated, when we don't find that intrinsic um, value behind the work that we produce, certainly there's going to be lack of productivity. It's, you know, in psychology, we call that dithering. It's just spinning our wheels. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's hard to be motivated when you're not sure what you should be motivated to do. Right. And I think from the chair that I sit in, the majority of the themes when I give someone a 360 assessment come down to, hey, the deficit that you have is not setting clear expectations with people. This is what those around you are saying. And I think it's really an art. It's something that many of us just assume people will pick up and say, well, I think they've got the meaning and they can do it. But it's not as basic and as natural as people think, but it makes me think of just that quiet quitting. But in terms mm. of productivity, you know, in this hybrid world today, there's, again, we're seeing more and more on the news. Amazon, I think, just released that they're now doing a, um, this is, I guess, being recorded in October. They're now doing a, they're giving the leaders the ability to let people go if they don't do the forced return to work. 
And when we think about productivity, what's your take on productivity in a hybrid or virtual or in-person world? Why do you think we're not getting those results? I think it goes back to what you just said. Um, We're not clearly communicating expectations and we're not talking about it and we're not creating an, an environment of vulnerability. Right. If if I'm vulnerable as a leader and, you know, I'm I'm okay with uncertainty, I'm okay with risk, I'm okay with emotional exposure, we can have honest and open conversation, honest and open dialogue. My commitment is to get it right, not be right. So we can have a conversation where we say, um, you know, hey, there we we really need to to do some in-person stuff. So what could that look like? Um, how do we make sure that we can get this right for our team and make sure that we can meet the needs of the, the in-person stuff and the flexibility that work from home can provide? I, again, think that there's a way to get to what is right, what can be right for this team without feeling like we're, you know, I, I, the, the mistake I feel like I keep seeing from these companies is like there's these edicts from on high and when you look into it, it's like, oh, well, you know, we have millions of dollars committed in lease agreements every year, and we don't want to waste this for our shareholders. Sure. I mean, is that really the best reason to force talent back in instead of having the conversation of what's going to be best for our team, what's best for productivity? But, you know, when we think about it, it productivity requires a, a great deal of vulnerability. Here's where I'm being productive. Here's where, as your leader, I don't feel like you're being productive. What's going on? How do we have a conversation around that? How do we, you know, how do we fix that? But again, there, we're not clarifying. We're not having those conversations. There's just a lot of assumptions being made. Yeah, that's set and forget leadership style. Hopefully they're doing it right. But I love that you connect productivity to vulnerability, that you have to have a space or that psychological safety for people to be able to share their challenges with being productive because burnout is rampant. I keep waiting for that, you know, the ebb and flow that typically happens throughout the year. And I feel like I'm not seeing as much of a drop in the burnout experience. It's starting to feel like a more constant. And I think vulnerability ties into Are you actually having the conversations or the self-reflection that are you really giving people, setting them up for success, or are you giving them too much work where they can't be successful? I'm curious, any thoughts that you might have around why we are seeing burnout continuously climb? It is just not dropping in the same way it used to ebb and flow. And now I feel like it's starting to become a norm. And that's problematic when it comes down to our productivity. It is. And I think that you know, in, 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 in sort of regards to this whole conversation, at the root of this, and speaking of vulnerability, if we're investing, and I love um, Kim Scott's model, right, on radical candor, I have to care about you personally and challenge you directly. Caring about someone personally means as their leader, I want to help you understand and be able to identify your giftedness, your passions, what you love doing, where you find motivation, joy, fulfillment in your work. And, you know, there's a number of assessments, Colby, Working Genius, StrengthsFinder, that can help you discover that and and really sort of raise that level of self-awareness. But what makes you tick? What makes you bring your best to work every day? And as your leader, 
I want to get you like 80% into that lane. I Because I know at the end of the day, you're going to leave your job feeling like I contributed. I was at my best. And, you know, we know through brain imaging now that that, you know, results in pretty normative brain activity when we are working outside of that. That's that dithering. There's a ton of energy being spent and we feel like there's no traction. And so we walk away from from work feeling depleted. Um, you know, the, the hatred for our job comes into play. We feel very burnt out. And so when when we are, you know, as a leader, if I'm not helping figure that out with you, helping you figure out how we can work this job or the, the, your contribution in this area, that you're going to be burnt out. You're not going to enjoy your work. You're probably not going to be, well, you certainly are not going to be contributing at your highest and you're probably going to leave. Um, but we don't do this work. We don't have these conversations because we're too busy. Um, we don't have these conversations because they can be uncomfortable. And so we just avoid it. And we wonder why people are burnt out. We wonder why they hate their jobs. We wonder why they're leaving our companies. I love that as a setup for we're not having the conversations for a variety of reasons, but we need to have them because that's a key piece of what's going to drive someone's performance. So maybe yeah. let this is the perfect time to switch gears to think about why or how. How do you create a productive team that can actually get results, knowing that the obstacles are burnout, the obstacles are lack of rule clarity, or maybe not the right autonomy? Where do you actually start to drive that performance? Yeah, I mean, I think we we always start there, right? We always start with, you know, what's your highest and best contribution? We start with how do your your responsibilities align with that? We we start with getting really clear on, you know, what's the intent of your role, no matter the obstacles, what are you here to do? And hopefully those things are aligning. We get really clear on, you know, what are the the key performance indicators, the numbers, the metrics that you're responsible for? And then the question is your leader that I should be asking is like, do you actually have the authority and the autonomy to affect those numbers? Mm-hmm. You know, to say like, okay, well, your, your, your responsibility is our sales number. Well, I have, what is our sales number? What does that mean? What are the activities that lead to that number, you know, inbound leads changing? And do I actually have the authority and the autonomy to be doing the things that are going to affect that number? Oftentimes the answer is no. Um, and then we wonder why people feel like they're set up for failure. So I think we start there and that I would say comes with that abundant clarity. You know, as leaders, we're checking in, we're available, we're doing the work of one-on-ones and quarterly conversations. We're being vulnerable, we're being courageous with our work. And you mentioned this before, but we're working on creating an environment of safety Right. I, you know, and and I think that that requires a lot of vulnerability. I love Timothy Clark's work on on psychological safety. And he says innovation doesn't happen. And he he sort of charts out this um, model for uh, psychological safety and says we have to have inclusion safety. You know, that's where we can connect. There's belonging. We're accepted for who we are, gifts. There's learner safety. I can get things wrong. I can, you know, feel safe to ask questions. I can give feedback. I'm getting feedback. We can experiment. We talk about our learnings. There's contributor safety. I can I'm using my skills and abilities 
to make a difference and I can connect that to the vision of the organization. He says, until you have those three things, you cannot have innovation. Um, innovation comes after contributor safety and comes when we can, he calls it challenger safety, when we can challenge the status quo, where we can speak up, we can ask hard questions, we're not stuck in nostalgia. If you're gonna, if you want your 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 employees to be productive, I think that that there's innovation that comes there, right? Because otherwise, we're just doing things the same way that we've always done them. In no way can we call that pro- productive, right? Well, and that brings up the question, or at least in my mind, because I know your background is in HR, and so you likely have heard of maybe leaders that aren't creating safety in the variety of those ways, whether it's challenger safety, learner safety. How do you actually hold people accountable? I think that's naturally the thing that people struggle with. They don't want to maybe let someone go or really, you know, solve the problem for fear of that person does produce results, even if it's at the expense of the culture that they're creating. How did you manage that in your experience to actually hold people accountable to, I don't know, I'm going to call it treating people like human beings, but Mm. or you know, running it that way. How do you do that? Because I think that's naturally a very difficult thing for a lot of organizations to want to do. Yes. Um, And I, I believe to the core of my being that culture always defaults to the worst behavior that we allow. And if as a leader, if as a senior leader on a team, I am allowing that behavior my expectation should be that the rest of the culture is going to follow. Um, Under no circumstance, if I'm allowing you to treat other people like that, where, you know, shame, scarcity, comparison are probably the norm, that I can expect any positive behavior from other people. Because if as a, you know, as a leader, I'm trying to be courageous, I'm trying to be vulnerable, I'm trying to lead, you know, from a place of being others focused and inwardly sound. And I see you doing that, like in my mind, that's a lot easier. That requires no vulnerability. Like I can just, you know, treat people like cogs in a wheel and try to get done what I want to get done. And shame is an effective management tool. I can get you to do whatever I want you to do. The problem is it's very, very corrosive and hurtful and damaging, but Culture is going to default to that if that is what we're allowing from one, I would say, from even one person on a team. And we tell ourselves the story. We can't afford to let that person go. We can't afford to have the hard conversation with them because they're likely to leave. And I have never been in a scenario. I've never seen a scenario where we have not confronted that behavior. And that's either resulted in change and apologies and making amends or termination and that been you know the wrong thing for the organization in the long term yeah so give yourself permission to have the conversation that addresses the behavior or be willing to part ways knowing that the long-term impact of their behavior will be detrimental it's you could even throw out this entire podcast if you don't have that courage to say i'm going to have that conversation to hold someone accountable Sorry, I just have to ask that because I think about the toxic workplaces that many of us live in that, you know, create quiet quitting, that create why I, the shame, as you talked about, being corrosive. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, of course. I've had leaders that are completely just rude and egotistical. Mm-hmm. And yet 
sometimes it looks like they still thrive, like they love them. Um, there's nothing that's actually done to hold them accountable to not doing what they're doing or to changing that behavior. Thank yeah. you for answering that. Just because I think that if you're a listener that maybe is on the receiving end of that, all of this sounds great, but it all starts with addressing that behavior with the leader. Hi everyone, it's Jen. And I'm just coming to you because we need your help. Presscom International, the organization that hosts the Leadership Habit podcast that I proudly work for, is looking to expand their network of people that are committed to creating more ethical, engaging, and human leaders. Now, how is that relevant to you? Well, we're looking for referrals. Do you know someone that is interested in giving back and being an entrepreneur and owning their own business? Or that wants to make a difference and is passionate about leadership development? Well, I'm excited to share with you that Crescom has just launched a referral program. If you know someone, maybe it's a past mentor or a boss that's interested in making a career change and wanting to leverage the knowledge and their experience in the classroom, send them our way. We have this new program and here's the scoop. We've designed an easy to use referral form available on crescom.com forward slash referrals. And you can visit the site submit your referrals and access all of the rules along with the required terms and conditions. Here's the sweet spot of this. If you refer a successful candidate, we'll give you $2,500. Now we want to expand and make our mission even greater, but we can't do that without your help. So if you know someone that would be interested in becoming a franchisee for an amazing leadership development organization that wants to get into the classroom and make a difference, head on over to crestcom.com forward slash referrals today and help us impact your workplaces and the leaders that you work with. Here's the only caveat. Please note that this program is currently open to applicants based in the United States only. Okay, yeah. let's come yeah. back to it. So how yeah. to create a productive team that actually gets results. So starting around that um, radical clarity, I think that was the expression or term that you used. Where do we go from there? Yeah, I think, you know, it, we, we have to make sure that as a team, we are also moving at the same pace, right? If, if we're creating clarity, if, we're, if we want to create a productive workplace, we have to get really clear on how we're going to move as a team. So my job as a leader is to create the right structure, the right processes, and to make sure that like our our bets as a company, as a team, are in alignment with our destination, right? It, I think you know, and, and and it keeps coming back to clarity. You can't get to control and breakthrough as a business if you don't have clarity. But really, this clarity on design um, comes down to you know helping organizations, and as a leader, I should have great clarity on where we're going, why we're going there, how we're going to get there. And, you know, really reverse engineer that into what is most important to us as a team right now for the next 90 days, for the next month. And how are we aligning everyone's unique genius, unique ability to that vision? And that requires, again, a great deal of vulnerability. We're here as a team to figure out how we're going to do that. But when I have great clarity on where we're going, what that destination is, what the vision for the company is, and what's most important right now, I know how to, to be productive. I know how to align the eight hours that I have, the 40 hours I have every week um, to spend towards making progress on what's most important because we've talked about it, we've aligned our resources on it, and we're focused on in this you know, sort of the, the sprint that we're in how we're going to get to where we're going to go in that next mile marker that we need to hit. 
the strengths alignment. I have a question about that because it came up um, with coaching with a client that I had last week, you know, interested in no longer feeling like the role that they're in is the best suited role for their expertise, but also for their interests. And I think sometimes that can actually be a challenge for leaders because you might feel like I actually am not able to align or personally create a role that might align with it. How do you address that challenge when someone does say, I no longer want to do this and that's and that job still needs to be done? What would be any tips or advice that you would have for that individual, that leader that might be in that role? Yeah, I mean, I would say it probably is if there really is no way if there in, in you know, what I found is uh, many of us have the flexibility um, we have a little bit of autonomy to to maybe delegate some things off of our plate that's going to help us get that percentage, hopefully into a healthier place. Maybe we're at 60, 40. Um, but if there's no way, if there's no way for us to, to make any progress on it, I would say, why are you in the job that you're in? Why, why are you choosing to stay here? And, you know, it might not be a, this is a job I can quit and leave tomorrow or two weeks from now. Maybe it's a year from now. I mean, I've been in jobs where I'm like, I just don't feel like there's great alignment here. And also at the time we were foster parents in the state of Illinois and I knew I couldn't leave. Um, we couldn't leave the state. And so for me, that meant I'm going to work on equipping myself for whatever the next role may be for me, where I can be in, in more of my giftedness and more of my passion areas. And that meant getting some continuing continuing education and professional development that I made the investment in myself and getting. And so I think again there, what's your plan? If it if it's not if it's not going to be at this company, if it's not going to be here for the long term, how can I contribute the best that I can for the time that I'm here? But how do I work towards whatever is next for me? And you know, take a strengths finder, take, you know, a, an M code assessment to really figure out what your what are your motivations and strengths to, so that hopefully you can help get better alignment for yourself there long term. I love that. And thank you for answering that, because I think there is sometimes there may not be an opportunity for the employer to accommodate to the extent that you might want them to accommodate. And it's not that they don't care. They just have that role for a reason. And so there's an opportunity then to think, how can you practice that growth mindset and pursue what is important to you? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you talked about setting that vision, you know, understanding what's important to people, making sure that there's alignment, that we're on the same pace. Now, how do we actually do it? How do we actually implement how that? Do as get a team? There? How do we get yeah. to the vision? Yeah, I think it comes by reverse engineering the vision, right? If you know the vision is three to five years out, how do we how do we take how do we backstep that? How do we say, okay, well, if this is where we want to be in three years, where do we need to be by the end of this year? And what are the bets that we need to make on ourselves, on our company to get there? So we get clarity on that. And then what's most important, you know, this next 90 days for us to get a quarter of the way there? Um, and what is it going to take from every team, every department, every individual for us to get there? And we start having those conversations. We start making those plans we talk about our 30-day milestones. We talk about what got done this last week. We talk about in our weekly sync meetings what we're on track to getting done this next week. So with that comes a lot of accountability, a lot of clarity, and we're really getting very intentional about what needs to be done right now in the next 
you know, we can think in 90 day sprints, what needs to get done in the next 90 days to getting us a quarter of the way there. I think, you know, the example I always use is our family goes to mid Michigan every year for Christmas. That's where my in-laws are. My wife is from there. And I think many times as business leaders, what we do is we get in the car and we're like, Hey, we want to go to mid Michigan. And, you know, we're in Nashville and we start driving and we're, you know, seven hours into the trip and we're like, we're in Little Rock, Arkansas. You're like, that was the wrong direction. Gosh, we spent a lot of time on the road. Like, I'm kind of exhausted. I guess we got to keep driving. And then we hit Dallas. We're not looking at the mile, you know, like I should hit Louisville first and then Indianapolis and then, you know, Fort Wayne. I'm not looking at the mile markers I should be hitting or reverse engineering the track. I'm just getting in the car and driving and spending a ton of time and energy. We've gone somewhere, but we're not where we wanted to be. And I think that's the way most, not not most, many organizations are being run today. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. And also yes to being a part of organizations that have run that way, that we are all the way on the other side of the country in the destination that we did not intend to get to. No. And And then we're like, it's well, why didn't you get out a map? Like, oh, I thought you were getting out of it, you know? Yes. Those conversations. Yeah, I thought you were going to do that. Coming back to the clarity piece. Right. And I, you know, I get it. There's that urgency culture and the hustle culture. We feel like we have to keep going, keep going. But gosh, we have to stop mm. and think for a second. For sure. No, sure. <laughs> you had talked earlier in our pre-call about uh, like operationalizing values with habits. Tell me more about what you meant with that as it supports um, creating a productive team. Yeah, I think so many organizations have, you know, they have banners of their values throughout their, you know, offices or whatever. And what they have not done is actually operationalize those. Our values define us. They are the riverbanks that keep the river in check. They're a filter through which we make hard decisions. We should hire, fire, evaluate through our values, but that means we need to clearly define them. What what does integrity mean, right? Like right. it's not that like poster of the eagle, you know, like what do I do at work? Like fly fast and catch small critters with my claws. Um, that's not integrity. We have to define what integrity actually means. And then what we the the exercise we always take people through is okay, we've got our values. Now let's describe the culture that we want to be true at our company. What are the attributes of the culture? And a way to think about that is, I mean, we've all seen Glassdoor. If you read the the perfect Glassdoor review of your company, this, you know, this employee just had amazing things to say and talked about all of these things that were true of the culture that were healthy. If that's sort of the description of who we want to be, how we want to be described as, you know, in our working world, what are the habits that it's going to take to get there? So our values plus our habits should equal our culture. And our habits are the things that we invest time, energy, and money behind. The things that we do, the things that we calendar, the things that are important to us. So if we have a value of collaboration, maybe a habit behind that is we always, you know, we always leave, uh, we always are intentional about weekly time to collaborate on new ideas or no idea is dumb, or we have a a process for all of us sharing and, uh, you know, collaborating on it, whatever that habit is, there has to be a habit underneath there for that value to become true in the culture. 
I love that descriptor because it's all about <clears throat> behavior change. At Crosscom, we talk a lot about behavior change, but I love driving home that piece that you can have a value. We've all seen them. I could laugh. They're probably, and I don't mean just laugh in a negative. No, maybe it is. I've definitely been a part of organizations where they have had values, parties. I was part of an organization that actually had the values, put pictures of models that aligned with each of the values that were all dressed in a certain way, then invited the models in all dressed up so people could take a picture with all of them. And I can still tell you that I have no idea what the values are. And it honestly became the biggest joke of that large organization because everyone knew that no one listened to the values. But it honestly, I'm like, how much money did you burn by giving us cookies and bringing in hired models to take pictures with our values? Like that could have been used in a different way. For for (laughs) sure. That is, yeah, that, and that's just where you're like, why are we wasting money on stuff like this instead of taking time to operationalize the values and, you know, actually try to live them out in our work? Yes. And I, I just love the habits that... You know, if it's collaboration, we build in buffer time to actually have the connection. I love that you take it the next step. What does this behavior look like in action? Because I think that then obviously drives home the point you were making earlier about accountability and clarity. If I don't understand what this definition means, if I don't understand that behavior, I have no idea whether I'm getting it right or I'm getting it wrong. Exactly. Um, (laughs) Exactly. Again, because respect is too general. Respect mm-hmm. can go a lot of ways. Respect could be not sending a passive aggressive email and picking up the phone call when you're noticing you're going back and forth. Yeah, you know, we I- have the conversation with one another. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's and when we have the habit, now I know if I'm your peer to say, like, I I just saw you do this and that's not okay. We know that's not okay. What can I how can I help support you to make the right decision here, to practice the right habit? Yeah. And as an individual, I think from the self-reflection perspective, Mm -hmm. you know, I think everyone knows going back to the per my last email, passive aggressive email example, you know, when you are making a decision or a choice that aligns with the values and doesn't. And how would you, I guess, recommend an individual to process their role? Because I love that we're talking about this from the top down And it's not just top down because it is bottom up in terms of understanding what's important. But when it comes down to an individual and actually operationalizing their own values with the habits, what advice would you give to them to be more accountable, to be their best for the team and for the organization? Yeah, I love Patrick Lanzioni says the best accountability is peer to peer accountability. Um, You know, but the interesting thing about accountability is the the less comfortable a leader is to hold people accountable, the less people are going to hold one another accountable. The more comfortable and the more a leader holds their team accountable, the more um, peer-to-peer accountability happens within an organization. It's sort of this like weird paradox. Um, and so like I think the healthiest teams are as colleagues, we are holding each other accountable. We are holding ourselves accountable. We're doing what we say we're gonna do. We're, we, and as leaders, we're creating structure where uh trans I mean, with transparency comes accountability. I mean, if we're being honest. So if you know, if we have great transparency in our organization, we're setting up a habit for accountability. Um, and transparency can look different for every group. Our team is a highly transparent team. Um, everyone has visibility into 
really everything going on in the organization. Now, do they, some people care about everything? No, but I'm giving them that choice to make. And, you know, as a leader, I'm telling them what I'm working on. I'm holding myself accountable. I'm admitting when I didn't get something done and talking about how I'm going to fix it. Again, speed of the leader, speed of the team. But we have to, I think when it comes to accountability, we have to install those um, guardrails to hold ourselves accountable, to, you know, hold one another accountable and use those systems and structures um, so that we are, you know, creating a place where transparency is the norm, accountability is the norm. We do what we say we're going to do. I love that. We have a social contract that needs to exist at work that's set up Mm -hmm. by our values and habits. But of course, it comes down to that. I love the peer-to-peer accountability or that Mm -hmm. leader. I mean, accountability is hard. And we've talked about being a foster parent. I'm a new foster parent. That is one of our biggest challenges is accountability and driving the behavior change that's appropriate. It's Mm -hmm. not easy, but it's worth having those conversations. Absolutely. Uh, Zach, what would be, I know we have to wrap, but what would be any final insights that you would like to share with our audience on the topic of how to create that productive team to achieve results? I would say start with yourself. Um, if you're finding your team, if you feel like your team's not being productive, your team's not being accountable, there's no transparency. If you're in a position of leadership, I would start looking inward and say, what am I doing as a leader that is not creating an environment where this is the norm and start there. You know, the, the biggest part of the work of being a leader is working on ourselves, being inwardly sound as a leader, being self-aware, being disciplined, being principled. So start there. Um, there's a, (laughs) yeah, yeah. There's a great book. Um, I think his name is Tim Spiker. It's called the only leaders worth following. And it's a great, great book about, again, looking inwardly to figure out what, what's that work that we need to do to show up as our best version of ourselves. I love that. Zach, I've really enjoyed our conversation. I love so many, hey, we've got a lot of reading that we're going to be doing as a result of this, but so many different perspectives, so many just, you know, insights. Thank you so much for sharing that all with us. But I want to let our audience know, how can they best get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, Our website is uh, intentioncollective.co. So intentioncollective.co, we've got a bunch of resources there. Uh, We offer a free 45-minute coaching session for leaders as well. So Um, reach out to us there, download those free resources. All right, perfect. Thank you so much for stopping by the Leadership Habit. Thank you for helping them learn how they can build a more productive team that actually Mm -hmm. gets results. It was a great conversation, Zach, and I'm grateful that you stopped by. Thanks so much, Jen. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. I hope that you took the advice, the insights that Zach had to really think about what you can do to shape 2024 into a successful year. You know, and it starts with thinking about yourself. Who is the person that you want to be? What habits, what behaviors might you want to stop doing or start doing? This is a beautiful time to take some self-reflection and ask yourself, what worked this year? What didn't? Or where do I want to be? and then back end or reverse engineer what you need to do to get there. I have to say on behalf of all of Crestcom, we are so grateful for you listening to our podcast, for you staying in touch with us. We are committed to learning and development and we are so grateful to have you on this journey with us. And we wish you happy holidays and a happy new year in 2024. Thank you so much for giving us your ear and attention. 
We wish so much success for you. Until next year.